This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. Today I have Jen with me, and we're just going to hear Jen's story, so I'm super excited. So welcome, Jen. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Annie. I'm very happy to be here. And so Jen has, um, yeah, she has a, a story to tell. So why don't you just kind of start at the beginning? Like what, what, was, what was your journey? What was life like? Yeah. So um, I, um, I don't, gosh, it's a long story. Everybody has one, right? Um, but I was, um, I was born in Mauritius, which is an island in the Indian Ocean, um, and as my dad was, um, in the sugar industry, so we ended up moving to Malawi in East Africa when I was seven years old. And, um, at the, sorry, I was about six years old at the age of seven, I went to boarding school. I was a weekly boarder. And then, um, I went to uh, boarding school in a different country at the age of 12 and I think that was really hard on my mom. My mom was actually from Louisiana here in the States, um, but she met my dad in college and uh, married him here and then in the States and then moved to the island um, before she even had her kids. So anyway, the point being is I think that um, both my brother and I being in boarding school was very difficult for my mom. And... Um, she turned to drinking, um, and um, clearly she was an alcoholic um, because, uh, I mean, I didn't know that at, at a young age, obviously, um, but once I went to college, I, I was like, oh, you know, starting to make the connections. Um, so I grew up with an alcoholic mother, and um, drinking, the drinking culture in South Africa is um, pretty much like here in the States. Um, when I went to college, the freshmen spend a whole week just partying before everybody else arrives on campus. I mean, it was crazy, you know, um, you'd wake up and start drinking for a whole entire week. And I was a party girl, you know, I went to an all girls private boarding school. So when I got to college and I had that freedom, um, you know, I really turned to alcohol I was part of the culture. I really didn't see like drinking excessively as even being a problem at that time. And, um, you know, I'd say that after college, my drinking probably slowed down a little bit. Like I wasn't drinking every day, but it was definitely a big part of my life. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, I, I literally drank um, for 30 years straight. <laughs> um, there's more to the story, obviously. I think there's a lot of childhood trauma, just basically going to boarding school at an early age, being separated from my parents at an early age had um, an impact on, you know, on on my drinking in later years, I think. Um, and I also think that my, um, seeing my mom drink, you know, it, it just was, it was part of our culture. My, um, my dad is of French descent and I remember my parents saying, sure, you want a glass of wine with dinner at age 15? No problem. Yeah. Yeah. I hope that gives you a little bit, 
Wow. I, I, I've never yet heard of somebody going to being away for the entire week at seven years old. My, um, my kids are, my oldest is about to be nine and my youngest is, is almost seven. And that's insane to me. Yeah, I know. I mean, even my 12 year old, I couldn't imagine. I was seven and my brother was five. And I think that that's even more, you know, I think girls tend to be a little bit more mature at that age. Um, but I think it was very, very, very difficult for him. And so was that like a, a cultural thing? Or did they think it was going to be better for you guys in some way? Or? Well, no, I mean, I guess I should clarify. Um, where we lived, the nearest school was an hour and a half away. So we couldn't drive three hours every day to get to school. Okay. Um, so it was kind of the norm for kids that lived that because we were on a farm and the nearest town was an hour and a half away. And then when it got to high school or middle school, high school, there were no um, good middle schools or high schools. So, yes, all the expat kids tended to fly to South Africa for boarding school. And do you remember, and I'm just asking because I'm curious, I mean, my parents had divorced when I was quite young, so I was about six when they divorced, and I started going back and forth between their households, and so I was, I was with either my mom or my dad each time, but it was still so intense, the leaving one to go to be with the other, and, and you're talking about a situation where you're leaving both to go to be with teachers, I mean... It was traumatic. My mother would cry so much. And I think that that would set my brother and I off. So we would all just be crying and my dad would hold it together. But <laughs> I think he was, you know, really sad as well. Um, it was an awful feeling. Now, you know, after that Sunday night when they dropped us off, you kind of got into the groove of the week. And, you know, then it wasn't like as, you know, the sadness wasn't as intense. But it was hard being away from from my parents. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think I missed out on a lot, you know, um, you know, just guidance. I mean, you know, when you're being guided by teachers, it, it's great. I mean, that's, you know, that's what should happen. But I mean, it was more being guided by teachers than my actual parents. Wow. And I feel like um, in my research and that I've done, when you have pain from childhood and you take that first drink, alcohol, one of the things we don't you know, know about it, I certainly didn't know until I started really, really researching it, is alcohol, you know, it numbs you. So it, like it actually numbs you. <laughs> they used mm -hmm. to use it in surgeries for the physical numbing until they found out it was too toxic. Right. And, um, but it numbs you emotionally and mentally. And so that first drink... I mean, how did that first drink, you probably don't remember, but how did, how did alcohol feel to you when you really started to use it as a, as a tool? Yeah, I mean, I think that I would just, my problem is I just always drank in excess, you know, there was never just like, oh, you know, let's have that one drink, like one always turned into five or, or more, you know, um, but, you know, and, and at the time, everyone was doing it. So I really didn't think that I had a problem. I would say that in the last 10 years, I've used it more consciously um, for numbing. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, it feels great, right? It's like, 
it takes your mind off of, it gives you this like euphoric feeling for a while and it takes your mind off your problems and, um, yeah. And, but then one turns to five and then I, you know, I heard your podcast. I haven't read your book yet, but it's on order. Um, but that 3am where you beat, I'm beating myself up. I'm never going to do this again, you know, and then I'd almost use alcohol to feel better the next day, you know, to kind of get rid of the hangover. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things that I like to talk about in terms of that kind of numbing and euphoria, you know, alcohol does a few things. So it, it slows down how fast your neurons fire. So like your synapses, so it actually slows down your thinking. And for most of us, I know for myself, uh, our brains are just this like frantic hamster wheel of thoughts. And actually most of your thoughts, 80 to 90%, some studies say are repeating from yesterday and a huge majority, again, upwards of 80% are quite negative. So we're stuck in this hamster wheel that we don't feel like we can control of quite negative, quite frantic thinking. And so when you do something that slows down your thinking, and it's the same reason that watching a movie feels good is because it takes those thoughts and it says, okay, those are here. Now I'm going to focus on this movie and it makes like your thinking shift. Right. And, um, and so slowing that down can feel, feel quite interesting and and good and, and relieving, but there's something that is just fascinating to me. And for me, this is kind of the key in a way to understanding alcohol is that you know, you know, it makes you feel somewhat euphoric and energetic at first. And, but it also is a depressant and it makes you feel much more anxious over the long run. So how do those things kind of coexist? Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things that's fascinating is that your blood alcohol content rises and then it falls. And as it's rising, that's where you get all this euphoric feeling. That's where when your blood alcohol content is rising, you feel a surge of energy you feel a little more euphoric. You're starting to feel the relaxation effects. So, th- so there's quite you know positive feelings. The thing is, is if you're on an empty stomach and you have one drink, your blood alcohol content will rise for about 30 minutes. And then it starts to fall. And the thing about it falling is that a falling blood alcohol content in the body feels quite awful. It's a release of cortisol and adrenaline. It's a huge amount of anxiety and unease. You start to feel quite tired and depressed. And this is why alcohol is ultimately a depressant. And so as the blood alcohol is falling, you start to feel quite bad. So what do we do? We drink another drink. And that's why it's so difficult to just sort of drink the one is because you're fighting this horrible feeling. And the other really interesting thing is that that 30 minutes of rising that one drink will take two to three hours of falling so we don't often we all know i i remember going on vacation and being on the beach at 11 in the morning and all ordering whatever drinks fruity drinks getting really drunk it was so much fun for about an hour and then we all started feeling horrible and i remember never being able to feel really good again no matter how much i drank and so by the time we were going out to a nice dinner I was just doing my best, just like be awake at the table and just mm-hmm. basically it ruined the rest of my day. The thing is that we generally go through this um, and then we sleep it off because we generally start drinking five o'clock somewhere, right? So we start drinking in the evening and then we right. kind of sleep it off. And so we don't realize that we're sacrificing this half an hour of yay is really for two to three hours of ugh. You know, and once you get that, then it's kind of like, 
okay, (laughs) this is not, this is not actually helping me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I, that's why I'm so excited to read your book because, um, I really do still need to, I went to, um, I went to treatment this year in May. Um, my insurance covered basically, I think eight weeks of treatment, which isn't very long, but it's a good start, you know, but really, I don't think that anything that you discuss in your book, based on what I've heard in the podcast, was really covered in treatment, even though I kind of went to like a more holistic um, treatment center, you know, where they, they had holistic modalities and programs. Um, but yeah, so I did relapse um, about, gosh let's say, no, I think I went to treatment for more like six or seven weeks. And then I relapsed uh, a month later, (laughs) which was really quick. Um, So it just kind of told me that um, I really haven't figured out. I I have not quite over, you know, my addiction. Right, right. Um, So and that, yeah. So I have a bunch of questions because I'm sure that listeners, you know, um, we're, I just want to provide as much information to people as possible for different avenues and different things. So I'd love to hear, first of all, what was kind of the catalyst for saying, okay, I want to seek a treatment center. Mm -hmm. Um, So I have always been very, very open um, with my husband about thinking that I had a drinking problem. I mean, even... Uh, I'm 46 now, I would say in my early 30s, I remember saying to him, you know, I think I've got a drinking problem. And he'd be like, you, no way. Like, you don't have a drinking problem. So I've always been very open and um, I'm not one of those, like I deny my drinking problem at all. I've always been, just to myself especially, and to close friends, you know, um, but I never was really able to just quit completely. Like I would quit for like eight weeks and then, you know, but um, I think it's because I started kind of um, having a more uh, like seeking more of a spiritual life in the last couple of years. Um, Actually, I'll go back to three years ago. I got certified as a nutritional therapist and I'm like thinking, you know, this drinking thing is not in alignment for, with the work that I want to do, you know, with clients. I mean, this is like, you know, I need to take a look at this. Um, and then I would say that a couple of times I, you know, I did go out and just drink too much. I had a horrible fall one day um, and uh, banged up my arm and I had bruises up and down my arm. And that, you know, when something like that happens, you know, and you're 46, (laughs) you kind of like have to assess like, what is going on here? Like, why is it that I, I cannot stop at one or maybe even two drinks? You know, I just, after I'm already like, you know, completely obliterated, I still need to have a shot of tequila. So, um, I would say that those few things were like, okay, now I really need professional help. Um, I'd been to therapists before, but not not specifically for the drinking it had come up but um anyway it, it was a really great experience being in a So group. how did you find it? How did you find the place? Um 
so I was, I'm in a networking group and, um, there was a lady in there who is, uh, in my networking group, that's a recovery coach. So I, um, got her card and I called her up and I said, I really need some help, you know? And so, um, but I told her, I said, listen, I don't, you know, I, I need more than just one-on-one therapy. Like I need something that's really going to work this time. Um, and so she just helped me, uh, just look, I'm in Georgia, um, in, in Atlanta, Georgia. And so she just kind of, um, gave me my options for treatment centers. And, um, yeah, I picked, I picked the one that just seemed more fitting to me. It's a foundations recovery center. Yeah. I think they have uh, locations in California as well. And, uh, maybe in, Oh, I don't know. But anyway, they they have a few other locations. And so um was it inpatient or outpatient or it was outpatient. Okay. And so how what was the time commitment? Um I would go I would check in around nine AM and I'd be done at one. Okay. PM. Yeah. Um and at first I was going five days. You know, it all depends on your insurance. Um so my insurance covered eighteen days total. And they want you to be in the program for as long as possible. So initially I went, the first week I went five days, the second week I went four days, and then every other week after that I went three days until I, my 18 days added up. So yeah, my insurance um, didn't cover a lot of days. Other people had, had much better insurance than I did. And so what were some of the main kind of ahas and things you, you learned? Um. Well, I mean, so one of the things I think is being in a group with uh, people that have gone through what their stories are all different. Right. But just being in a group setting like that um, just kind of helps you feel like, oh, I'm not alone. You know, so that's good because you do feel very alone in those those dark moments. Um, You know, my alcohol, my addiction to alcohol definitely led to some um, mild depression, not not severe, but there were days when I didn't want to get out of bed, you know. So just hearing other people's stories were great. Um, other aha moments, let me think. Um, I mean, people would say things, and I'd be like, "Gosh, that makes so much sense," you know. One person said, "If you if you can't quit, then don't start," kind of thing, and I know that's, that seems so simple. But, um, I mean, the, the desire to drink, you know, obviously for me, since I relapsed, um, even though I was thinking that, you know, it, um, didn't really help me that much. Um, I think another aha moment is, um, being willing to share my story, you know, because once you open yourself up to, um, to that vulnerability, I think you talk about that a little bit too, um, it's, um, you know, I, I had so much shame around my drinking, so um, I'm much more open now. I mean, I haven't gone and told the world that I'm that I've had this problem, but I'm planning to. <laughs> I, um, I'm in the process of starting a book, so um, writing a book. So, yeah. So, I, yeah, that I don't know that that really answered your questions, but I didn't have a ton of aha moments, to be honest. And then, you. so what, um, so you got out of it and, and what was the framework like? Was it mostly group meetings or just get together with a group? Yeah, it was mostly group meetings. Um, 
So um, we would always start the day with um, intention setting and meditation. Um, and then um, it was kind of like talk therapy where if, you know, the therapist would go around the room and say, um, who you basically, this is, they had their various ways of deciding who would speak first, but you know, you were either a, uh, a green, you're good to go. You don't really need to talk about anything urgent today. Yellow, you could, but it's not super urgent. Red was like, I need to talk and I need to talk now because, you know, there could be 15 people in the group, you know? So in an hour and a half, that first meeting was an hour and a half. So they just needed to determine who really needed to, to talk. Mm. Um, and then the second part was usually, um, uh, just, um, kind of more, uh, cognitive, uh, behavioral type therapy. Was it one-on-one then? No, it was still in a group. Still in a group. Okay. Yeah. But it was like structured teaching more. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. And then, so you got out and, um, and how did you feel when you got out? Were you feeling like, okay, that's great. It's it. It's that sorted. Or were you feeling still quite shaky or what, what was Um, happening? The hardest thing for me was, um, I didn't want to go to AA, um, cause they, they really encourage you while you're in the program to set up, um, a lifestyle or at least, um, set up meetings that you can go to on a regular basis so that you don't just don't go out in the world and now you don't have the support that you had for the last six weeks or whatever in my case six weeks um so um i was not very diligent about finding meetings the center is about a 30 minute drive away from me 45 um 30 on a good day 45 in the iffy atlanta traffic so I'm not always super excited to like go there at 6 p.m. on a Thursday for a meeting, for example. Um, so I would say that, um, again, I, I, having a meeting is important, but um, AA just wasn't something that I wanted to um, attend. Um, I really believe in the power of words and I understand why they say, you know, hi, I'm so and so, I'm an alcoholic, but I just didn't feel comfortable doing that that doesn't mean to say that I don't think that their 12-step program is you know is very helpful I'm sure it is you know but anyway there are lots of other meetings and I just didn't make it a priority and um, really what happened is I went on vacation and um, I was really I was gone for two weeks I was really good for the first week but then um, I just caved in everybody was drinking around me you know so, um, yeah, I'd say the challenge when you get out is making sure that you have supportive friends that you can socialize with and have one or two meetings a week that you can, uh, can attend. Yeah, that's great. Um, and obviously there's, there's all, you know, smart recovery, I think has, has yeah. in-person <laughs> meetings and things, um, you know, someday probably naked mind, lots of people I think are starting to kind of meet and that's very cool, but it isn't yeah. anything that's formalized, you know, it's still just me. So I'm just, you know, kind of, yeah, no, I think that'd be awesome. Just discussing your book would be amazing, you know? Yeah, it'd be really good. We should, we should figure that out. Um, but so, so tell me about your intentions now, like where are you now and what are your goals and and what's, what's kind of next for you? Yeah. So, um, right now I, um, 
I um, I'm doing a cleanse. <laughs> so it's been uh, almost, let's see, it's like 16 days without a drink. Um, and I feel great. I always feel great, you know, but then I get so anxious because I'm supposed to go to this party this Friday. It's a friend's 40th birthday party. And, um, my, my friends drink a lot, you know, and it's, you know, so I have to, I know that I just need to make a plan that I'm going to go and I'm going to spend an hour. It's in my neighborhood so I can like easily leave, you know? Um, but I'd say my drinking friends are the ones that I really haven't just come on out and said anything to yet, you know? Um, and I kind of feel like that's my next step. Like I really need to come clean with everyone because, you know, if I don't, then, <laughs> you know, then that opens me up to probably being relapsing more, more easily, I would think. Um, but, um, I'm also, I mentioned that I'm a, a nutritional therapist. Um, it's interesting that I'm still like, really in the midst of my beginning of my recovery, hopefully, you know, um, but I really want to help people with addictions. Um, I've had food addictions in the past and I used to be a smoker, um, and I got over those. So I know that I can, you know, I can, um, I can recover from alcohol addiction as well. And um, yeah, I'm, like I said, I'm at the beginning of uh, writing a story, kind of a memoir, but it's going to involve my journey with alcohol addiction for sure. That's a beautiful way to keep yourself accountable and real. I think, you know, journaling for me was pivotal. I mean, there wasn't anything kind of more powerful than writing words down in black and white and saying, okay, that's on the paper. That's something I can't deny anymore. That's that's true, right? And um, I think that's really, really cool. Um, so let me ask, uh, have you have you heard of the alcohol experiment that I put on? Does this ring a bell to you at all? If yes, not, I, think you, I think you talk about, is that where, you, okay, yeah, recap yeah. it. I do so know what you're talking you about. Should, you should do it because I okay. think it will be really great um, and I'd love to, what I'd love to do is do like a follow-up podcast maybe in six months or something and not only will it give you kind of some, okay, we're going to do this, I'm going to have to like say, you know, to everybody and their mom on this podcast where I've been. But equally, I think, um, because positive peer pressure is just phenomenal. I mean, it's so, and again, with telling your friends, I think, again, it's so important to kind of get the positive peer pressure. Um, one of the first things that I did is I wrote an email to all my close friends and family and just basically said, hey, guys, you know, I'm not drinking anymore. And, um, and it was great and terrifying all at once, because what if I went back on it? And what if, you know, I'd already lost trust in myself, so I figured, well, they lose trust in me then. Oh, well, you know, but I, I, I felt like I needed their, them to know that because it was a stake in the ground. It was a line in the sand. It was me saying, okay, this is my intention. And, um, you know, people were really skeptical and that hurt. That was intense. That was like, okay, well, yeah. Okay. You, you tell me how that goes for you in, in two months or three months. But actually, Jen, I think that their skepticism really drove me. Like it gave me kind of this internal steel of like, yeah, I will tell you how it goes. You watch me, right? You watch what I'm going to do with this. And, um, and I think equally with your book, 
you know, like that's such a powerful motivator of, of, so getting that positive peer pressure and writing the book, I think the things that you're doing are absolutely phenomenal. Uh, I completely agree with you on, on language. I think language is so powerful and, um, there's actually in the alcohol experiment, there's a day that we talk all about language, which is, is really cool. But the alcohol experiment, it's alcoholexperiment.com. Sign up. It's free. You just go through and every day you get an email with a video from me of like, and it's just really solid education. So if you're on day 16, you've already gone through the hardest part because the hardest part is the physical withdrawal and, and that anxiety and stuff. And so just maintaining that momentum, uh, it will give you 35 more days. It's actually 35 days in total of just like every day, like something to do in the morning. A lot of people say they get up, they watch the video. They, they, it's an online journal too. So you can write all your stuff online, which of course you can take later for your book or whatever, but, um, do it. That would be great. And, um, hard sell, do it. No, (laughs) well, it's free. So it's not really a sell, but, um, but yeah, it would be, it would be just so cool. And, and then I'd love to have you, have you back on and kind of like say, okay, where's Jen at? Like, I'm sure people would be, because I think it's great. I mean, this podcast has been really cool because we've talked about this whole other side of stuff. So many people have questions about treatment and so many people have questions about, and, and I just admire you a lot because you are, you're just owning your story and you're very unapologetic and you're very beautiful and you're very strong. And like, I have no doubt, I have no doubt that you got this. Like there's, there's no doubt for me at all. Super cool. Thank you. I appreciate that. And by the way, um, when you, when you talked about what the alcohol experiment was, it wasn't what I was thinking about. Unless it's one of the things from there that you had mentioned um, in one of your podcasts where you took a bottle of wine. Yeah. So at the end of the, so, so there's sort of two alcohol experiments. Um, one, one is this, this platform. So alcoholexperiment.com where you log in, you put your start date, you get daily videos and emails from me and you just do a 30 day challenge and it's just kind of dip a toe, see what life is like, no pressure, you know, just, just try it out. At day 28, I share my personal alcohol experiment. Um, And that is confusing that those are both called the same thing. But basically what I did is about four months after writing that big email to all my friends and family and saying, yay, look at me, I don't drink anymore. It got really on top of me there. I started having this very intense dialogue in my head about like, I'm I'm missing out. And it was funny because I didn't feel like I was missing out. I felt so happy and free. But then you just watch other people drink and everybody seems to be having such a great time. And what I've realized since is it's, it's not really that people are having such a great time with alcohol. It's that when you have an addiction from drinking daily or even a dependence emotionally, you really are miserable when you're not drinking without the right mindset shift. So I was quite miserable every time I had to be the designated driver or every time I was pregnant and I couldn't drink. And that was often because I, I wanted something I wasn't allowing myself to have. And that creates a huge amount of misery and deprivation. But when you've shifted your thinking to where you don't want it anymore, then, then that, so anyway, so four months into kind of my journey, I said, oh, wow, well, I feel like I'm missing out. I feel like, like I'm missing out. Like it was just, you know, and it, it wouldn't let me go. It was this idea that somehow I was missing out. And so I just decided to put it to the test. And so I did, I, um, it's, it's horrible. I, I literally just watched the, all the videos two weeks ago when I put them out for the first time in at day, I think it's 20 of the alcohol experiment is when you get all those videos. And it was, you know, almost two hours of footage 
and I just turned the camera on for five or 10 minutes every five or 10 minutes. And I locked myself in a room because it was really important to me to separate. There's a few things that I'll say if, if anybody's considering this is number one, you have to have a significant amount of time away from alcohol. You need to have 20, you know, 30, 60 days because, and I had, like I said, four months, I think that's vital because then you've kind of really broken the belief patterns. If, if somebody did an experiment recently, I saw it on, on Facebook and she just, she's drinking and then she just did an experiment. And, um, and so the alcohol is always going to relieve the withdrawal that the former alcohol you drank created. So it's mm. going to feel better. But if you've had time, if you've mm. been with no alcohol in your system for a month, then you don't have any physical withdrawal. You don't have any need for it phys physically. And so it's a totally different experience. So what you do is you make sure we so often confuse socialization and the fun of just being at somebody's 40th birthday party with the drinking um, mm. that we, we can't separate them. They become totally intertwined. And so what this does is separate it. So you say, okay, just me by myself. If alcohol is really fun, then in this room, locked into this room by myself, I'm going to have a lot of fun. And so I'm going to put that to the test. And I was so willing to like wherever it landed me, like I was, you know, if I was going to drink again because this was fun and I was truly missing out, like I really believed and felt that um, I wasn't going to live this life of missing out. So I, I felt like wherever the chips fell, I was going to go with it. And so I went through the process of putting in a, putting my iPhone on a little tripod. I put up a sheet behind me. So that's trying to be hilarious. Um, and went through the process of getting drunk in front of the camera. And I didn't even have to watch the videos. You know, the only time I watched the videos was many years later when I was trying to make the video for the online platform, the alcohol experiment, because there was no doubt in my mind, no doubt. Like, and every time I ever had a craving, I was just like, okay, how did alcohol actually make me feel? Yeah, it made me numb. It made the room kind of blurry. It made the edges of reality a little bit blurred. But because I wasn't numbing anything in my life, like I didn't have, you know, a huge amount of pain. Like it just felt like I was missing out. Like I couldn't, it felt like I was swimming underwater. Like I couldn't quite see clearly. And then it started feeling quite bad and I did end up getting sick, but, um, and it made me really tired. And I, I went into it thinking, Oh, it's going to be great. Like I'm going to have so much fun and I'll, I'll end up, you know, hanging out by myself and like listening to some music and like all this. And it, it, all I wanted to do was just fall asleep. Like it, it there, every time that I say, okay, how does alcohol make me feel? You know? And, and I remember from the very first time I got drunk because I, I wasn't numbing a huge amount of like pain. Um, I didn't like the first time I got drunk. It wasn't great. It was just like, okay, that was interesting, but eh, you know, and so, um, yeah, just really doing that for myself, going through that process and then being able to, well, I didn't, I didn't watch the videos. They were so painful. And I mean, people tell me like that are watching them now and I did watch them recently. They're like, they make me cry because I turned from this energetic, you know, um, pretty articulate, person with a pretty good outlook to someone who's just kind of pissed off at the world and quite miserable. And you can see it and you can see it in my eyes. And, um, and it was just like, wow, that's not who I want to be. Yeah. So yeah, it was really powerful. Wow. I was going to say powerful. It definitely sounds like it. Yeah. It was all my own experiences. So it wasn't anybody telling me what to think, telling me what to believe, telling me what to do. 
And that's one thing that I'll just say over and over again is this journey for me, um, everybody needs their own guardrails, right? Some people thrive in a structured diet where they have rules and they can count calories and they know what they're doing. Other people aren't built that way. Other people, when you put a rule on them, like if I was going to say, I'm never going to have a drink again, that would immediately feel constrictive to me. Like I would immediately feel uncomfortable. Um, but if I say, I drink as much as I want, wherever I, whenever I want, I just don't want to drink. And owning, I don't have to ever have a drink again. I don't have to ever make myself feel like reality is, is blurred or hungover or nauseous. That for me feels like freedom. That for me makes alcohol small and irrelevant rather than big and powerful um, yeah. because I'm abstaining from something I want and desire. And, and, but everybody's journey is different. So, you know, all I can do is tell my own story. All you can do is yeah. tell your own story and then sure. hope that people, you know, maybe get what they, what they need from it. But yeah. I, it was really brave. Like I really appreciate you coming on and, and is Thank there anything you. else you'd like to share? Um, no, not really. I mean, I will commit to doing the experiment because I think it sounds really interesting and I'm sure that I'll learn a lot. Um, and then, um, yeah, I'd love to, to come back on and talk about it and, um, you know, we'll make sure that I've read your book by then too. So I can kind of talk about that as well. Um, well, I, you know, I love kinda... it. This is great because it's, it's an opportunity to do a journey, right? Like, so yeah. people can say, okay, I want to follow Jen's journey. And then here we are today talking and then, you know, it's amazing to be able to follow a real life journey. And it is really, I mean, truthfully, we only change for ourselves and we only change based on our own experiences and our own beliefs. And it's completely within our own control. And so what, what you, you are the one that has the power, right? Mm -hmm. And so for us, but for other people to be able to see and witness that we become really excited. Like when, when the first runner broke the four minute mile, all of a sudden the four minute mile started getting broken like this. Right. So when somebody can say, okay, she did this, treatment okay it was interesting she learned some stuff and you know um AA wasn't for her but she was obviously like quite a big drinker you know like my story is quite a big drinker then where where you go from here you know no matter where it is and of course transparency yeah. and honesty are always the most important but um I think it'll be great great to check in well, I just want to say, I mean, I think I love the work that you're doing. I just think that we really do need to be talking about, you know, the alcohol problem in our society. I mean, it's rampant. Um, and uh, I appreciate you just interviewing, you know, I'm not going to say random people, but that you're willing to just talk to anyone who has a story. Um, that's really, really awesome. So well, thank you for it, the work. Right? It's just the conversation, yeah. honestly. That's all... All I want to do is just make this a conversation that's safe to have. Yeah. That's well, it. it's awesome. So thank you so much. I yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for being on. It was wonderful. Yeah. Great to meet you. You too. Bye, Annie. Bye. This has been Annie Grace with This Naked Mind Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You can learn more at thisnakedmind.com. And please remember to rate, review, and subscribe as it really helps us spread the word.